0: It is Sunday, June 28th, 2015. This is U62 the Targ. Let's get it started in here.
1: As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. All right, here it
0: comes. Anyone who isn't dead or from another plane of existence would do well to cover their ears right about now. Why? What a little (laughs) tiny microchip. Some electronics broadcasting to the world through the miracle of the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is U62, the TAR. Mark, 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 Mark. Now your host, a man with a lifelong dream of getting paid to do this, Mark Tappas. On this week's show, explaining where I've been, rambling about Star Wars and Quantum Leap, sampling a Mclobster, and some thoughts on Jurassic World. It's episode 8.12, The Coffee Can of destiny. So sit back, relax, grab yourself some warm root beer and a towel that's oh so fluffy. U62 the targ. you're in for something special enjoy the show. Good morning ladies and gentlemen, Mark Kappas here. Welcome to this week's episode of the Targ. I am back. I know in the last episode I'd said I'd be back in two weeks, but it turned into four weeks. Ah, well as I've said before, you know, in my day job, in radio, summer is a very busy time because you're alive on location from countless festivals that pop up, so it was some of that and a little bit of other things. So, Four weeks ago, I said I'd be back in two weeks because I fully anticipated having to work three weeks ago. But the higher up said, nope, we don't need you that weekend, Mark. So I was like, hey, right on. Do I want to do a podcast or I want to take the weekend off? Weekend off, everybody. Woo. And then the next few following weekends. Yes, then I had to work. So let's see. Two weeks ago. It was the Westlock Triathlon. Uh, We weren't live on location from them, but we're awesome enough that we were loaning them our sound system. So they needed a volunteer to, you know, set up the sound system for them and run it during the triathlon. So that was me. It was kind of interesting because, you know, whenever you do a triathlon in a small town, of course, there's always the swimming portion. So that's done in the swimming pool. Two and a half years I've been in Westlock now. Never set foot in the swimming pool. So I finally got to see the pool. I discovered it has a hot tub. That is awesome. I don't have a lot of goals in radio, but one of my goals is to someday do my show live from a hot tub. Be lounging in the hot tub, do everything I do on my regular radio show, but from a hot tub. So now that I've found a hot tub here in town, that's getting one step closer to happening. I think ideally I should do it as like a food bank fundraiser when Christmas rolls around. You know, some people do fill a truck or they do stuff a bus to get food bank donations. I would do fill the tub. I would be live on location from my hot tub, and next to me would be a second hot tub, and I do my show live from the hot tub until the second tub is full of food bank donations. Sadly, though, I'm in a market where there's no hot tub dealership, so I can't make that happen. But someday, someday I will. So that was Saturday uh, two weeks ago. Sunday two weeks ago. It looked like I had the day off, but family obligations got in the way. My parents came up to Westlock for a visit, which was cool, and they brought with them my dear old auntie who's visiting from Phoenix. I think the last time I saw my auntie was my sister's wedding seven years ago now? Yeah, seven years ago. Ah, yes, and ah, I love my old auntie and she brought me a present. A couple of years ago, I had a craving for Cocoa Pebbles, which they don't make in Canada anymore. So now, whenever I have a friend or a family member head down to the States, they always bring me back some Cocoa Pebbles. And my aunt brought me a ton of Cocoa Pebbles. I have no idea how I'm going to eat them all. I just can't have them for breakfast every day for like six months, so I'm getting creative. I was looking around online, and I found a recipe for Cocoa Pebble Squares. Just like Rice Krispie Squares, only you make them with Cocoa Pebbles. So I think I'll try out my baking skills and make some Cocoa Pebble Squares. You know, it's funny, when my old auntie saw my apartment, she was like, wow, there's a lot less Star Wars posters than I thought you'd have. For the record, I only have two Star Wars posters in my room. One, If you ever visited my dorm room back in the day, you'd recognize it immediately. It's the teaser poster for A Turn of the Jedi. Just that one lone lightsaber raised towards the sky. It is my favorite of all the Star Wars movie posters. And yes, it's the exact same one that's been hanging on my wall ever since my dorm room back in college, way back in 1997. Only, you know, it's in a frame now because I'm a grown-up and grown-ups put their posters in frames. My second Star Wars poster is a souvenir poster from star wars identities you know that's the big museum exhibit of star wars props they had at telus world of science a couple years ago they had this complete line of artwork to go along with the exhibit it looks like a star wars character but when you get up close to it you see it's made up of a bunch of different elements of the star wars universe you know the logo for the exhibit was their image of darth vader It looked like Darth Vader, but when he got up close to it, it was actually a space scape, and all the features in Darth Vader's face were made up of various Imperial starships. Uh, Let's see, what else was in that series? They had a Stormtrooper, which was made up of legions of marching Stormtroopers. They had Queen Amidala, who was made up of a whole bunch of starships from Episode 1. They had Boba Fett, and his face was made up of all the little pieces of his armor. The one that I got was Yoda. And when you get up really close to it, you see that his face is actually a Dagobah landscape. It is really cool. So those are the only two Star Wars posters I have on my wall. So then last week, uh, last week I was working. The company sent me back up to Athabasca to fill in. A week ago Sunday, it was Father's Day. So my mother and my sister, they planned a big outing in the city. We asked Dad what he wanted to do for Father's Day, and my dad was like, I haven't done Fort Edmonton Park in quite some time Let's go to Fort Edmonton Park So we're like, huh Okay Uh, So yeah, Fort Edmonton Park is uh, really cool Uh, Sadly, I didn't get to enjoy The things that I wanted to see Because, you know, my sister brought along her little ones They're 5 and 3 and they're full of Energy and always running around And it was more for them, so I didn't get to do Some of the stuff that I wanted to do Uh, You know, they've got the streetcar I love riding on the streetcar at Fort Edmonton Park Didn't get to do that Uh, Because I'm the big-time movie geek, one of the newer features at Fort Edmonton Park is they have a fully restored 1920s movie theater that actually shows old movies. So I was hoping to catch a short film in there, but no, the kids just wanted to get to the rides at the end because they had a 1920s Midway all set up for Father's Day. Uh, But no, actually, one of the strangest things about going to Fort Edmonton Park is, you know, they have their 1895 Street. That's where all the buildings from 1895 are, and they got the actors there you know, they're hanging out in their period garb, and they had this one fiddle player there on the main street. My dad, he always loved the fiddle music. He was like, hey, that fiddle player is pretty good. I'm going to go over to him, say hi. Who knows? I know he might be breaking character or something, but maybe I can find out if he's got a CD or something. So my dad went up to the fiddle player, and the guitar player who was with the fiddle player, you know, doing rhythm and stuff like that, it turned out the guitar player was a former colleague of my father's back when my dad worked for the government. So he knew the guitar player. So they had a good time just sitting there chatting, reminiscing about the good old days working for the government. And, yeah, it's just one of those little weird coincidences that uh, makes the world work. Uh, yeah, uh, check out uh, my YouTube page because I got some footage of uh, the fiddle player. So you can check that out and a few other home movies from uh, Fort Edmonton Park. That's all up on my YouTube channel. So, yeah, that's where I've been for the last years. Four weeks, but looking at the schedule, hopefully uh, things should be lightening up a little bit. So I'm going to be back for some time.
1: You're listening to Mark
0: Kappas. It's clear to all of you that I am awesome. On U62, the Targ. So should I continue with my travails through ShowMe? Yes, right now I'm spending the extra 10 bucks a month on my cable so I can uh, check out uh, ShowMe, Shaw and Roger's big video streaming service. You know, the selection's still not quite as extensive as I would like, but there's some good stuff on there. You know, like I've been recently rediscovering quantum leap the classic science fiction tv series from the early 90s scott becula he's dr sam beckett and he's discovered how to time travel within his own lifetime but the scientific experiment for the time travel kind of goes out of control so now whenever he travels in time he becomes someone in that era looks like them talks like them acts like them But the thing is, he can't move on and time travel again until he's done something to change that person's life for the better. Alters their timeline in a positive way. His only companion on this uh, journey is Al. Al, he's a hologram from the future. He's attuned to Sam's brainwave so only Sam can see him. And he's a guy from the future telling Sam what he's got to do in order to leave. It is such a beautiful show. I forgot how positive and uplifting it is because Sam is the nicest guy in the world and he's doing all this to help people. It's just such an optimistic and happy and cheerful show. But watching it again, I'm starting to realize how much of the show was pure baby boomer nostalgia? Because, you know, the show was on in the early 90s, so the time periods that Sam generally time-traveled to were the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, the big decades for the baby boomers. And it's always stuff like, ooh, in the 50s, he's leapt into a black guy, and he's helping out with the civil rights movement and teaching people that racism is bad. In the 60s, he's like, "Oh, now he's leapt into a woman, and he's showing that feminism is good and all the genders are equal. I checked out one of my uh, favorite episodes which took place on the eve of the Cuban Missile Crisis right there another definitive episode in baby boomers time. So in a way it does kind of get like Forrest Gump because he doesn't actually take part in tight he doesn't take part in big historical events but he's definitely on scene for most of them. But it's really been fun enjoying that show again because, as I said, it's just positive. It's just uplifting, you know. It's all about doing good with time travel. Quantum Leap, I still love you. You're listening to Mark Chavis. Go do disgusting things to that boy. On U62. The Targ. Meanwhile, across the way on Netflix, I've been powering my way through Star Wars The Clone Wars. <sighs> yeah. Star Wars The Clone Wars, I I know lots of Star Wars fans, they love The Clone Wars, they say it's a great cartoon, it's what the prequels should have been, but I don't know, I just, I'm giving it all the second chances I can, but The Clone Wars just isn't hooking me, you know, probably because, you know, my first experience with The Clone Wars wasn't a positive one, As you know, in order to launch the Clone Wars, uh, George Lucas took the first four episodes, edited them together into a movie, and that was released in the theaters in 2007. Star Wars fan that I am, of course I went to go see it in the theaters. And when I walked out of the theater, I was just like, I'm done. I didn't feel burnt by the prequels like a lot of Star Wars fans, but definitely by the time uh, the Clone Wars came out, I was burnt out. I mean, let's be honest, from when we first saw that trailer for Episode 1 in 1998, all the way to when Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005, that was a seven-year nonstop orgy of new Star Wars stuff. So when The Clone Wars came out, I saw the movie and I'm like, you know what? I'm full. It's time to settle up my bill and leave this all-you-can-eat buffet. Plus, it kind of helped that Star Wars The Clone Wars the movie is a shitty, shitty movie. It is such a bad movie. So I was like... After that, I had no interest in the Clone Wars whatsoever. But, you know, time marched on, and a buddy of mine who's a bigger Star Wars fan than me, he's like, oh, dude, you got to watch the Clone Wars. It's awesome. So when it was finally released on uh, Netflix a year ago, I started watching it. Then I stopped watching it. Then I started watching it again because we're in the summer rerun season. Uh, It was on for uh, six seasons, and I recently finished season five. And I'm talking to my buddy, and I'm like, it does eventually, I am keep waiting for it to get better, but it hasn't gotten better. And my buddy was like, well, um, I only watched the Obi-Wan episodes because Obi-Wan is my favorite character. Oh, so you only watched like a third of the series. Thanks for that. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of my problem with the Clone Wars in that... um. The entire series is divided into these four-episode story arcs, and that's actually a good technique. Star Trek Enterprise did it for its uh, good season, the last one. One of my favorite cartoons, Shadow Raiders, it did that. You know, doing a series of four-episode-long story arcs, it's a good idea. But the problem is, with Star Wars The Clone Wars, each story arc jumped around so much... ...that it was difficult to get invested in the characters, you know, like, oh, these four episodes are an Obi-Wan story arc. Oh, now these four episodes, they're an Anakin story arc. These next four are an Ahsoka Tano story arc. These next four episodes, there's some goofy character you've never heard of before that we just decided to throw in there. So because it's jumping around among all the characters so much, I found it tough to get invested. But I will admit, near the end of the fifth season there, that's when they finally got me. Two story arcs near the end of the fifth season. The second last story arc, they resurrected Darth Maul, and Darth Maul started going on a tear across the galaxy, building his own little criminal empire, seeing himself as, you know, building his own empire, and... We saw so little of Darth Maul in episode one that it was nice to see Darth Maul finally get fleshed out as a character. I was completely wrapped up in Darth Maul. It was good seeing him. And then the final story arc of season five was Ahsoka Tano. Uh, For those who don't watch The Clone Wars, she's Anakin's apprentice. She's a plucky young Jedi Padawan, 16 years of age. And in the final story arc, she is framed for murder by one of her fellow Jedi Padawan. And this just... gives her an entire crisis of faith in the entire Jedi Order. And that was like the most compelling story arc she had in the series. Too bad it came so late in the game. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on uh, Clone Wars. You know, there's still one season of the show left that... I'm going to power through. Actually, you know, ranting about Star Wars. It's interesting. I was reading an article online the other day. They were trying to answer the question, when did being a Star Wars fan go from being the sign of the geekiest geek over to this beloved cultural touchstone? And basically it's because, you know, We're grown-ups now. We are in charge. We grew up with Star Wars, so we've always embraced it. Whereas the generation before us, they're like, Oh, Star Wars, that's kid stuff. Anyone who still likes Star Wars is an overgrown child. Well, those children are grown-up now, and we love Star Wars, and we run the world. So that's why Star Wars is now beloved and not the sign of being a super, super overgrown child. Which, you know, i I got to thinking about that, I guess in about 20 years or so, we might see a whole new appreciation of the prequels, because we all dismiss the prequels now as being stupid, silly kid stuff, right? But you know, my buddy who loved the Clone Wars and recommended them to me. He's an art teacher, and he was telling me this story one time. So there he was, one of his young students, also a Star Wars fan. He strikes up a conversation with the kid. Oh, you like Star Wars too? Yeah, Star Wars is cool. Well, who's your favorite Star Wars character? Jar Jar, because he's funny. And inside, my friend died a little, and he said, Oh crap, Lucas was right. Kids do love him. So who knows, 20 years from now we there might be a whole new cultural appreciation of Jar Jar Binks as those who grow up with the prequels come of age. Everything's better with Mark Caprice. Crime has gone down, productivity is up, and ratings for Doctor Who are through the roof. <laughs> Mark Kappas on
1: U62, the our Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Kappas here, coming to you live from my kitchen table, and it's time for another installment of Mark Tastes Random Things. Tiny in the wine. So, what treat do I have in front of me on my dinner table tonight? I have. The McLobster. Once the purview of just the Maritimes, it is available to all of Canada for just a limited time. Now, the backstory in case you don't know. This June, McDonald's has been running a promotion. Each week, they've been previewing a different kind of sandwich to reflect tastes across the country. First out of the gate, representing Ontario, we had the uh, Country Cottage Chicken Sandwich. You know, it wasn't too bad, it was just a typical McDonald's chicken burger with some zestier sauce. Next up, representing Alberta and Western Canada, we had the Western Barbecue Burger. My opinion of that could have used a little more barbecue sauce, had far too many onions, and now the McLobster. This is one of those items, usually only available seasonally at Maritimes McDonald's. It is a lobster sandwich. The proper term for this kind of sandwich is a lobster roll. We have like some lobster salad, all spread out on a hot dog bun. It's just that simple. So I have one in front of me. Take a big smell. You know, not until I smelled this sandwich did I realize how much of McDonald's unique flavor comes from the bread. You smell that bun and it smells just like a McDonald's hamburger but it's not a burger it's a lobster sandwich. I've seen some pictures online you know some people are complaining they get like just uh like half a scoop of the uh, lobster salad that they use for their filling but here at the Westlock McDonald's I say they've been very generous with the lobster salad. This bun is stuffed full of the lobster salad. So Yep, definitely smells like a McDonald's burger, I'm picking it up. Let us have a bite, shall we? Mmm. Oh yeah. Mmm, that is not too bad. Mmm, I'm really tasting the celery here. Let me have another bite Mm. mmm mmm oh yeah it's pretty good I'm not sure how much of it is real lobster because it really tastes like imitation crab meat I'm wondering how much of this is imitation lobster If you've ever had a seafood sensation sandwich at Subway, like I like to have, then it's pretty much the same thing. But this is the much-valued McLobster. It's not too bad. Let's see. Talking about McDonald's, Taste of Canada promotion. The one thing that they're having that's not just on a week-by-week basis is their maple bacon poutine, representing Quebec. I had that. It's just essentially their regular poutine with a handful of bacon bits and some kind of maple barbecue sauce on it. It tasted like poutine. The one item I have yet to try representing BC, they have the Nanaimo Bar Sunday. So all I got to do is have that, and I'll have completed my McDonald's trip across Canada because I can't afford a real trip. But yes. As my thoughts on the Mclobster, I'm going to finish it off now because, you know, I had a long hard day at work, and this is my supper. Hey, have you guys heard?
0: U62 The Tar with Mark Gaffas. Seriously, everybody, you got to check us out. Available online at chaosinabox.com. Who are you? I'm just some guys telling everybody about it because it's so amazing. U62 The Tar. Be sure to tell everyone you know. See ya. And now it's time for the song of the show. Of course, this past week in the film community, it was very sad because legendary film composer James Horner passed away. You've probably heard some of his soundtracks, you know he won the Oscar for Titanic, he won the Oscar for Braveheart. He was a big science fiction guy. He did Star Trek Two and Star trek three Ah, uh, just uh James Horner was a fantastic composer. So, of course, when I was picking my song for the show, I'm like, what should I do to honor James Horner? I should play one of his tracks. You know, maybe I should play his main theme from An American Tale, because that was one of the very first film scores I ever bought. You know, I'm a Trekkie. Maybe I should play his main theme from Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, because that's the film score that took him from, you know, doing low-budget TV movies to the big time of film composers. I love Apollo 13, maybe one of his Apollo 13 tracks. I love Titanic, maybe one of his cuts from Titanic. He actually won two Oscars for Titanic, one for writing the score, and two because he co-wrote the Celine Dion songs. So I'm not going to subject you to the Celine Dion song. You know, I love the Rocketeer, he did the Rocketeer, maybe the theme from the Rocketeer, how come I can't stop saying Rocketeer? Then finally I decided, I know what I'm going to play. His first collaboration with James Cameron was on Aliens. It's a great score, and I'm going to play a track called Bishop's Countdown. In fact, I'm not even going to play the whole track, I'm just going to play 30 seconds from Bishop's Countdown. Even if you've never seen Aliens, you're going to recognize these 30 seconds of music. Because as one critic pointed out, these 30 seconds were used in every action movie trailer from 1987 until the end of the 1990s. In fact, when I first saw Aliens, I was like, oh, that, that That's the music from the movies, ah! So when I play this 30 seconds, you're going to instantly recognize it from every action movie trailer ever. The 30 seconds from Bishop's Countdown from Aliens by James Horner, which you heard in every action movie trailer ever. James Horner, phenomenal talent. He will be missed. You're listening to Mark Kappas. It's clear to all of you that I am awesome. On U62, The Targ. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this up. I ranted for quite some time in this one. And besides, i got to get home because i still got more interneting to do. I just got home from Jurassic World, so I think it's time I write up my review for that. Uh, some quick thoughts on Jurassic World. I thought it was awesome. This is the Jurassic Park sequel I've been waiting for since 1993. Uh, Whereas uh, The Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 just kind of rehashed the whole running from the dinosaurs thing, Jurassic World finally took some of the concepts introduced in Jurassic Park and explored them a little more. You know, the most obvious one being the film's premise, what if the Jurassic Park theme park actually opened and became a thriving theme park? or with the big new evil dinosaur that they whipped up in a lab, Indominus Rex. You know, as one of the uh, characters, the uh, head geneticist, said about creating this new dinosaur through gene splicing, we've been doing this from the beginning. If we use pure dinosaur DNA, they would look nothing like the creatures in this park. So yeah, because, you know, since they created the dinosaurs in the first film by splicing in some frog DNA to fill in the gaps, it just makes sense to, you know, splice in DNA from other animals to come up with these genetic monstrosities. So little things like that, it was nice to see them explore those concepts. And then, of course, you know, the shit hits the fan and the dinosaurs get out. And this time, instead of running, they've, they're prepared for this. So they all got the heavy artillery and they're blowing away dinosaurs with machine guns it is fantastic and they do make some callbacks to the original jurassic park without being jokey or winking at the audience it's in ways that make sense and are fluid to the story so i really like that just oh i love jurassic world so much you guys i give it four out of four nibs again i gotta get home write up a proper review for my website so watch for that in the next day or so And that's it for me. I think I'm going to wrap this up. I'm Mark Kappas. This has been The Targ. I will see you next week. And this brings us to the end of another exciting episode of The Targ. Don't forget you can download a new episode of The Targ every week at chaosinabox.com. The Targ is written and produced by Mark Kappas under the watchful eye of 42 Star Wars action figures. The Targ is a Chaos in a Box production. It was a good ride while it lasted. Come on, kids. Let's go home. We are home. That was fast.